Today's reading comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 20, verses 19 through 29. If you'd like to follow along in the Bible found in the pew in front of you, please turn to page 962. From John 20. Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with Jesus, was not with him when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, Unless I see his hands, the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here and look at my hands, and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. And again, if you're a guest, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We do want to remind everyone the next Saturday is the Single Moms Car Care Clinic, and you're needed. You're needed to be sure and invite, especially. Uh, we want to be able to have a powerful outreach to those in our community and among our friends, that this would really benefit them and would be a help to them. And so if you know of someone that this would be of great benefit to them and encouragement to them, we want to love our neighbor as ourselves, And we want to simply let them see the love of Jesus in his body, in his church. And so be sure and take the postcards that are out in the foyer and bid those invitations this week so they can call and they can make an appointment for what time they would be doing that Saturday. It's hard to believe that the day after that, summer camp will be here. Isn't it amazing how quickly this year is going by? A lot of good things planned in the summer, great campaigns. And so let's be mindful of our place in all of that and be prayerful that God will be glorified in this part of our year as in all of our life. Memorial Day. The idea of a memorial is interesting. There are some things that we just should not forget. Henry Wells believed that. You see, he had in mind the soldiers that had died during the Civil War. It was 1865 whenever he realized that something needed to be done. Someone needed to give honor to whom honor was due. And so he mentioned that to General John Murray in Waterloo, New York. He was a county clerk. 
And May 5th of 1866, he decided to have a countywide memorial where every veteran's grave of the Civil War would be covered with either crosses, bouquets, or wreaths. And all the flags would be flown at half mask. And good words would be said and honor would be given to those who had served and given their life to the cause of our country. And from there, from there was born an event that has become an annual event that's a very good event. When you walk through a cemetery, and especially a military cemetery, we're humbled at the thought of the men and the women that have given their life. Surely they believe so for the cause of the good of a nation. And surely they've given their life in hopes that there would be grateful generations that would follow them and would remember the cost of freedom. I'm reminded of the quote by James A. Garfield. He says, For love of country, they accepted death. But then, for today, like today, William Harvard said, The greatest glory of a freeborn people is to transmit that freedom to their children. And hence, in part, the purpose of a memorial. To perpetuate that which has happened for good so that it will never, never be forgotten. You see, it is interesting to think about our generations do not stand isolated to themselves. Tomorrow, I hope that as you enjoy perhaps a day off from work and time with family, I hope that you also enjoy a period of prayer. I hope you enjoy conversing with whoever you're around of the gratitude that you have for America and to give honor to whom honor is due. Because it is our generation that stands on the shoulders of many generations that have sacrificed much for us to enjoy this. But it's not just our generations that aren't isolated. It's also the fact that none of us, you see, our lives, we come to understand very quickly if we're humble, we need each other. You know, it's interesting to think about in, in your life when someone came into your life that made all the difference. You may look back and say it was a coach. It was a certain teacher. Maybe it was a certain neighbor down the road that took interest in you. Or maybe you look back at, at a spouse or at children or grandchildren coming into your life and, and you say, that's made all the difference. And surely we would look at a church family and we would realize the significant impact the church family has in our life and the difference that that has made. When I look around, I see individuals that we've sat beside and along with each other in Bible classes. We've gone on campaigns together, stateside and foreign. I see individuals that we've done projects in several states together. Individuals that our relationships are very, very close. How different is your life because the Mount Juliet congregation has come into your life? You see, this morning, I want you 
to think about the fact that in the fact that we need each other is that fact that we were not designed to live alone. Now with that, with that, think about the powerful impact of Jesus Christ coming to this earth. He came to this earth so that we wouldn't live alone. But yet then, when, when we see His life and then His death, now imagine those apostles especially that walked so closely with Jesus. They left family. They left friends behind. They believed in this great kingdom that was going to come, thinking in their mind that it was an earthly kingdom. And then when Jesus dies, all of those dreams are shattered. What are they going to do? The one that has come into their life and has made all the difference has now abruptly left them. And that's why the post-resurrection stories are so powerful. Because they're stories to renew hope. They're stories to remind us, not of just hope on this earth, but obviously the greatest hope, that is, the hope to come. And if you want to know the very great evidence to prove that Jesus has resurrected from the dead, what would that evidence be? Well, first, let's begin with our human logic. Can you imagine trying to prove that Jesus resurrected from the dead and say, well, I tell you what, from, from the garden we have this, this video surveillance and it's kind of grainy, but that's all the evidence we have. It looks like that might be Jesus walking out of that tomb. How secure would you feel about the resurrected Lord if that's all the evidence that you had? Or, or what, if, what if someone told you, hey, there's only two of his closest friends and they're the only ones that has this story but those two friends, they say that Jesus has risen again and that He is alive. Or what, what if it was simply rumor? Well, I don't know. We went by the tomb and we found it empty. So we're assuming that Jesus is alive. I'm not really for sure. You see the text that was just so capably read. If we went to the paragraph before that in John, the 20th chapter, we have the story of Mary Magdalene. And she was the first one that Jesus showed himself to in the resurrection, after the resurrection. And you remember that she didn't even recognize him at first. And she thought that he was a gardener and she knew that his body had been moved. And she was asking where the body was because she wanted to take proper care of the body. And you remember when he said her name, Mary, she cried out. Rabboni, which is translated teacher. You see, she knew Jesus as her great teacher. Now, when we look to the text that has been our text for today, look again, if you will, to John, the 20th chapter. And let's pick up there and see this great occasion as it begins again in verse 19. I'd like for us to notice verse 19. Then the same day at evening, you see, that's the same day of his resurrection at evening, the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, peace be with you. What a verse. It's so easy for us to read that verse and, and just think, well, that's just one little verse, but can you imagine if you would have been them? You see, the death of Jesus had scattered them. 
Leading up to the death of Jesus, one had betrayed them and now he is deceased. Another had denied and he had gone out and wept bitterly. The scriptures tell us all had scattered. Their hopes had been dashed. They were in despair. And then, can you imagine as word began to spread? Hey, I hear Jesus is alive. Hey, Mary Magdalene has seen Jesus. Well, we've seen the empty tomb. And we don't know exactly how this happened, but you can imagine as word began to spread... They begin to talk and to say, let's meet tonight. Isn't that interesting? What the assembly does. We're weak when we are scattered. We're strong when we are together. The need for us to assemble together is so strong. It is so empowering whenever we can lean upon each other and be strengthened by each other. But perhaps the question came, where are we going to meet? Well, why would that be a concern? Well, if they just killed Jesus a few days earlier and you are known to be Jesus' disciples, what would the fear be? Well, you know, they might come after us if they find out where we're meeting. And so they decide to meet at a place, it says, where they can shut the door. The idea is secure the place. Some have even said what they meant by this was a place where they could lock the doors. You see, they still feared the Jews. And what did Jesus do? He says he came into their midst. How? If the door was shut, how? Perhaps and probably, he simply walked through the wall. Somebody says, are you serious? Friends, if you can walk out of death, and you can walk out of a tomb, because trust me, he didn't need the stone to be rolled away so he could get out. That was so mankind could see in and see that it was empty. It would have been nothing for him to simply pass through the walls. And what did he say? Peace. Be with you. Now I realize that in a sense is a greeting. But I realize that there is power in what Jesus' greeting was. Peace be with you. You know, there's something huge, encompassing, powerful about peace. You know how you live a little while and you figure a few things out and it's not to say that we ever live long enough to figure it all out. And so I'm not saying this as if to say, wow, I've all of a sudden became wise. I'm saying I'm figuring this out better than what I used to understand. You know, if you'd asked me a decade ago, what's my feeling about peace? It's a good thing. Great. Go for it. But you know what my feeling about peace is today? It's one of the greatest blessings we can ever enjoy. You know, when our hearts are ravished and we're in turmoil, what we long for is peace. When we're in relationships that are at conflict with one another, what we long for is peace. When we're trying to find our own identity and figure out who we are and where we're going, we want peace with that decision. You see, when we think about a holy and even happy life, it cannot, neither one of those can exist without peace. 
It's an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace. Do you realize that it's a part of the greeting in the first few verses of every one of Paul's epistles? And usually in even the other epistles also. Why? Because it's so important. What do you think it meant to these individuals for Jesus to walk in their midst at this particular time when previously they thought Jesus was dead and they thought all was lost and Jesus was able to come into the midst of them and bring what? Peace. I know the illustration I'm going to give you does not come close to the significance and the impact that it would have been for those individuals. But you know, I I think about just a few weeks ago when our youth and some adults went down to Alabama and helped after the tornado in Rainsville, Alabama. And in that county, there were about 33 deaths. And on the road we were working on, most of the houses we were working around, I don't think anyone had lost their life there, but there had been either significant losses to neighbors around, some complete houses, and others had been outbuildings and trees falling everywhere. And what I'm about to share with you, any of you that's been on a relief trip, you've seen this, but I, I, just, I just want to illustrate this to think about what these individuals were going through when Jesus walked in. You know, I think about by one o'clock that day, we were stopping to eat lunch, and, and most of our kids and a lot of the adults were just setting out on a concrete driveway. Imagine by this time, everyone is dirty, sweaty, hot as can be, Everybody's just glad to get a meal to eat. Everybody's had such a great attitude, worked so hard, accomplished a lot. And there was this little lady, I don't know, maybe she was 65 years old. And she stepped over to the group and everyone was sitting down. So you look up at her as she starts with a strong, clear voice. And she starts by saying, I just want to thank you for coming out here. We could never thank you enough. We could never repay you. But in the midst of this, of what you got the feeling was going to be a minute or two minutes long, all at once, her voice choked. And she simply closed by saying, pointing to the driveway we're setting in the house, says, my brother lives here. And through the lump in her throat, she said, thank you. And she walked away. At the end of the day, another fellow that you could tell he wasn't the type to make speeches, he stood with his arm around his wife. And he asked everybody that had worked in his yard and around his house together. And he began to thank everybody. And he said he was sure that God would bless us because of the efforts that we did and that we would never know what it meant to them for this to happen. And and it was emotional. And then he turned to me and asked me to lead a prayer. And that was the perfect time to pray. If anything needed to be done at that time was pray, but I couldn't hardly pray. It was emotional. It was the right thing to do, to be there to help. It was the right thing for individuals to realize that a time like this is a time to be thankful to God. But do you see what I'm describing? I'm describing times where individuals are so emotional, 
where there's the absence of peace, where, where things seem to be falling apart. And what does Jesus do? Jesus comes in the midst of them and he says, Peace. Peace be with you. Today, maybe your heart is ravished. And you may be sitting here and thinking, nobody knows what I'm going through. And you know what? The one that can walk out of a tomb and the one that can walk through a wall, he can also walk right into your heart. And he can bring peace when no one and nothing else can. Maybe you look at your house and you say there's just too much conflict going on. God can walk in and bring peace. Maybe you look at your life and you say there's just too much turmoil. Christ can walk in and bring peace. Listen, there is not anywhere that Jesus cannot bring peace. We just have to be willing to allow His, His presence and His ways to become our life. Now when we consider this beautiful teaching, I ask you to look a little bit deeper. Go to the 24th verse, and we're going to skip a lot of slides right here, Van. Let's go down to the 24th verse, John, the 20th chapter, verse 24. There was one that, he wasn't there when that crowd or that group of disciples had assembled. And look down in John 20 and 24. Now Thomas called the twin... One of the twelve was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said, We have seen the Lord. And he said to them, Unless I see. Notice the emphasis there. He says, I've got to see it. Unless I see in his hands the print of the nails, put my fingers into the print of the nails, and put my hand in the side, I will not believe. Think about those two phrases if you put them together. Unless I see, I will not believe. Isn't that our human nature about evidence? I want to see it. I want to touch it. If I can see it and touch it, I believe it. And you know what the Lord teaches us? Anything you can see and touch is temporary. You want things that are eternal? You're going to have to believe in things that you can't see and touch. And so we continue reading here. After eight days, verse 26 and 27... After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came and the doors being shut and stood in the midst. And he said again, peace to you. And he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. See what Jesus is doing? He's working with Thomas's weakness. Okay, Thomas, if what you have to do is see in order to believe... I'm telling you to see and now become a believer. Now at that time, he's going to turn and say one more thing to Thomas and it's going to be a great commendation. It's going to be a great compliment, but it's not to him. Look what he says to Thomas in the very next verse, verse 29. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Brethren, What evidence 
Did they need to believe that Jesus Christ was risen? They didn't have to see the resurrected Lord. All they had to do was listen to those times where at least three different times He told them, I'm going to go to Jerusalem and I'll die and I'll be buried and I'll raise again. And you know what? They didn't believe Him. Even the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, they didn't believe Him. And even the very fact that the two men on the road to Emmaus, you remember... He rebuked them because they did not believe what the Scriptures had said. You see, the point is, if we had time to study the resurrection, the post-resurrection stories, what we would see over and over is individuals having to see the resurrected Jesus, but Jesus rebuking them because they ought to believed it because He had already said it. So now, we bring this lesson to this point. What is the greatest evidence? Is the greatest evidence seeing the resurrected Lord or is the greatest evidence before the Lord died saying, I will be raised again? I don't know if that seems like a huge point to you, but friends, that's a huge point. The resurrected Lord seeing the prince is not the greatest evidence. In Hebrews 11th chapter, we have a definition of faith. This is why we have to have faith. Because he says, hey, there's going to be billions of people that live that aren't going to be able to see my hands. And they're not going to be able to put their their hand into my side. And so in Hebrews 11 and 1, now faith is a substance of things hoped for. The evidence of what? Things not seen. That's what faith is. We're going to have to believe in the things that aren't seen. For if the elders obtain good testimony. Verse 3, by faith, by faith. We understand that the worlds were framed, how? By the Word of God. God's Word is greater evidence than what you and I could ever see. So that the things which are seen were not made by the things which are visible. We see a beautiful sunrise this morning. The moon this morning was so beautiful. And i got to ask Alan Cantrell. I don't, I don't, that star, that planet that was just, just below the, the moon, it was just brilliant. Where did that come from? We see it. It's visible. Where did it come from? From nothing. Except the Word of God. How powerful is God's Word? It spoke this universe into existence. How powerful is God's Word? God's Word is so powerful. If God says something is going to happen, you can count on it as if it has already happened Because His Word is the strongest evidence that we will ever have. That's why Romans 10 and 17, we learn where faith comes from. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by what? The Word of God. God's Word is powerful. God's Word can be trusted. And so I'd like to close this morning, and really this is closing the entire series of this study of the Gospel of John. And I want to ask you do, you, do you believe? I'm talking about do you believe in the sense that's changed your life? Do you believe 
when we read in John the first chapter in verse 14 that Jesus came and dwelt among us, do you believe in the incarnation of Jesus and that He's full of grace and truth? Do you believe in John 1 and 29 when John the Baptist said, this is a Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world? Do you believe that He is the only one that can take away the sins of the world? Do you believe in John 3 and 16 that God loved us so much that He gave His Son and that's our only hope to not perish. Do you believe in John 8 and 24 that if we will not believe, we will not be saved, but we'll die in our sins? Do we believe, as Peter confessed in John 6, 68 and 69, that he has the words? Why is that so powerful? Because words that pertain to God are more powerful than anything that we would think is substantial evidence that we can see or touch. You see, Peter's catching on. And he says, we believe you are the words of eternal life. And he says, we have come to believe and to know. Don't you love that song? I know that my Redeemer lives. Job was able to say, I know my Redeemer lives. Do we believe, John 14 and 15, if you love me, keep my commandments, friends, God isn't looking for just some kind of lip service or or verbal commitment. God is looking for a heart and a life commitment that says, Lord, I submit all of myself to you. Do we believe, John 21, 21 through 22, this is after Jesus has asked Peter three times, do you love me? Probably because Peter had denied him three times. And you remember... The third time he told Peter that he was going to die and he describes the death of crucifixion. And he told Peter that's the way Peter's going to die. And he wants to know, are you willing to make that kind of commitment? And then almost in a Peter-like sort of way, he he turns around when the Lord says, follow him. And he looks at John and he says, "Well, well, what about John? What about this man here? And notice what Jesus said. Peter, seeing him, said, but Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, If I will that he remains till I come, what is that to you? You follow me. Is my life about following Jesus? No matter what anybody else says or does? Have I placed him as the Lord of my life and the King of my life? Do I believe and believing have life through him? This morning, I've learned that God's word is all the evidence that I'll ever need. Number two, I've learned that peace is big. And without it, life is hard. And number three, I've learned that there's only one who can bring peace. And that's our Lord Jesus. And we can believe on him. And we can have life eternal. And we can have peace. Listen. If you're looking anywhere else for a life worth living, and if you're looking anywhere else for peace, you won't ever find it. Jesus is the way and the truth and the life. He's the one that we can have life and life abundant in Him. This morning, do you believe Does your life prove that you believe that He is your everything? The Lord offers His invitation at all times.
Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. If this morning's the time for you to give your life to the Lord and you want to be immersed into Christ for the mission of your sins, we'd love to assist you with that. Perhaps you've done that and you strayed away from God and you're ready to come back and to seek peace, to be right in your relationship with God and with others. If we can help you come as we stand as we sing.